This is the word of the Lord from 2 Timothy chapter 2. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in the concerns of civilian life. He seeks to please his commanding officer. Also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. The hard-working farmer ought to be the first to get a share of the crops. Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead and descended from David, according to my gospel for which I suffer to the point of being bound like a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. This is why I endure all things for the elect, so that they also may obtain salvation, which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. This saying is trustworthy, for if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Hi, church. I'm Pastor Jason, pastor at Martha Lake Baptist Church. It's good to be with you today and to share God's word with you. We've already heard the scripture read from 2 Timothy chapter 2. And to get us started, I want to think about this question. It's a question that's being asked a lot right now. What does the future hold? There's a lot of future casting going on. For instance, in the healthcare sector, in government, in the business world, in education, we're asking questions like, what can we expect? How long will we have the threat of the COVID-19 virus How severe and long-lasting will the effects be of our mitigation strategies? What kind of economic disruption will we face? And even churches are asking questions such as, uh, when will we as a church be able to meet again in person? What aspects of our church experience may never come back? What new methods or tools will become part of the way The church operates from now on. And will there be churches that have been so impacted that they have to close their doors permanently? These are all questions we're asking. And and we hear the educated guesses and the estimations, but the truth is only God knows the answers to these questions. And really, there's always uncertainty about the future. That much never changes whether we're in a crisis or not. But there is a question that we know the answer to and that we can be certain about even in our current crisis. The question of what will become of the gospel of Jesus and the kingdom of God? The answer is that the gospel will continue to go forth with power and the kingdom of God will continue to advance and to grow Of this, we can be certain. Have you ever watched a child try to build a dam across a flowing stream? My boys love to do this. 
down at Picnic Point Beach, for instance, there is a, a creek flowing down from the hills and into the sound. And the boys love to try to build a little dam where this creek flows over the sand, carving its way to the salt water. And this activity for kids, it's a captivating one because at first, stopping the flow of the water seems completely achievable. They set about building a barrier across the path of the water, but before long, they run into difficulty. No sooner than they place one piece of driftwood or one clump of wet mud in one place that the water breaks through in another location. Occasionally, they feel that their work is adequate and that they've stopped the flow, so they step back to admire the quickly growing pool of water above their little dam, only to watch in distress as the water breaks through at a weak point and the entire structure is quickly washed away in a rush of water. This reminds me of the gospel of Jesus. Any attempt to stop the gospel moving forward is as futile as a child's dam against the pressure of the flowing water. In verse 9, Paul said that the servants of the gospel might be chained and imprisoned, as Paul was, but that the gospel can never be bound. He said, verses 8 and 9, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead and descended from David, according to my gospel, for which I suffer to the point of being bound like a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. This chapter of Timothy, chapter 2 of 2 Timothy, is full of Paul's encouragement to Timothy to not be ashamed or overwhelmed by the chains that Paul wore because the gospel is flowing on, unimpeded and effective. We could put this into our present context and say that we find ourselves quarantined at home, but the gospel cannot be quarantined, whether by chains or by a stay-at-home order The good news of Jesus can never be restricted. In fact, church history shows us that the more tightly a government or a society might try to restrict the gospel, the more powerfully it flows. The more you censor the truth of Jesus, the more quickly it reaches into the world. The more you try to stop the spread of the kingdom of God, the more triumphantly It advances. The power of God cannot be stopped and his purposes cannot be derailed. Much like it has in the past, we see the kingdom advancing even now. Many churches are trying creative new ways to continue to invest in the people of God and to proclaim Jesus the risen Savior. And people are still coming to Jesus in faith. They're finding in him eternal life by grace through faith. Churches like ours are 
continuing to gather even though for a little while longer we can't meet in person. Faithful Christ followers are giving generously and sacrificially to uh, meet the needs of our neighbors and in doing so, shine the light of God's love and mercy. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 16, that like the lights in a house, he said, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. So the question then is not about whether the gospel will go forth, but rather will you and will I join in the powerful overflowing of the gospel into the world and into the lives of people who so desperately need Jesus the Savior. So in our passage, Paul seems to be urging Timothy to take stock of his difficult situation, and then to reaffirm his commitment to the cause of the gospel. He gives several short reminders to Timothy to stay the course even in the trying and desperate times of Paul's imprisonment and impending execution. And just as Timothy needed those reminders, so do we. We need to apply them to our own hearts and our own lives as we face an uncertain time ahead so that we, like Timothy, can reaffirm our commitment to the spread of the gospel and the advance of the kingdom. The first reminder that Paul gives Timothy is don't get distracted by lesser pursuits. Look at, look at verse 4. He says, No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in the concerns of civilian life. He seeks to please the commanding officer. The ESV says that the soldier does not get uh, distracted by civilian pursuits. So Paul's warning Timothy, don't get distracted by lesser pursuits. He draws this analogy to a soldier who has a mission and uh, his commanding officer has, the, has expectations. And so the soldier dare not become distracted by turning aside to civilian matters. Now, we might be tempted to shy away from this type of analogy, but the the Bible uses military analogy to remind us that we are in a battle. Of course, not a battle against people, not flesh and blood, but we are in a cosmic battle of good versus evil, of God and all that serve him against all those that are in active rebellion against him. And when we follow Jesus... We follow a victorious warrior king. We follow him into battle to fight, to fight to uphold and display the glory of God by rescuing the eternal souls of people from every tongue and tribe and nation and language on the earth. 
Paul reminds Timothy, and us as well, that if we are part of this advancing army of the Lord, we cannot let ourselves become distracted by civilian pursuits. How can we fill our lives up with the cares of this world when we are part of a raging battle and the souls of the lost hang in the balance? Well, what are civilian pursuits anyway? Well, it's a very broad category, but civilian pursuits will be anything that we pursue that is not for the glory of God and for the advancement of his kingdom. It has a lot to do with our heart, our motivation, our intentions. And and really, it could be anything if we are striving to build our own personal kingdom or to seek to expand our own influence and empire for selfish reasons, or if we are going to chase the American dream, if we are doing any of these things, we're in danger of becoming distracted by civilian pursuits. Jesus helped put a little bit finer point on it. In Matthew 6, Jesus warned his followers even about getting caught up in worrying about the food they would eat and the clothes they would wear. And Jesus' answer to all of this, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be provided for you. Let's examine our hearts and ask the Lord to show us each Am I living for the kingdom of God or for my own little kingdom? So so Paul told Timothy, don't get distracted by lesser pursuits, but instead stay focused on the gospel mission. So rather than let ourselves get uh, get distracted, let's stay focused on the gospel mission. In verse 8, Paul points Timothy to the core of our faith when he says, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead and descended from David according to my gospel. How do we keep from being distracted in? Focus intently on the gospel, on the good news of Jesus. If we're going to focus intently on the gospel, the first thing we need to do is know the gospel. And this knowledge is a deep, penetrating knowledge of the saving truth of the message of Jesus. Now, Paul could use a shorthand phrase with Timothy to invoke the entire gospel message in Timothy's understanding. That that phrase he used was, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead and descended from David. And for Timothy, that brings to mind the entire gospel message because it is ingrained in Timothy's mind and heart and life. He knows the gospel and he only needs this this quick little phrase to, to go along with this reminder to stay focused on the gospel. Do you know the gospel? And it's true that there are layers and layers to the gospel message and many moving parts when you take all of the scripture into consideration. It might be easy for us to become overwhelmed with saying, 
I know the gospel because it is very complex. However, we can understand that at the core of the gospel, the message of Christ, there are three parts. And the layers then build upon these three parts. And if you don't mind, a very simple illustration. Simple and simplistic. Think about the similarities between the gospel and a Lego minifigure. My boys play with Legos all the time. They spend hours building armies and war machines and then drawing up battle lines and then having a very rowdy Lego battle that quickly turns into a real battle. And these armies, they all start with a simple minifigure. Now, when I was growing up, I played with, with Legos as well. And we didn't, we didn't know these were called minifigures. We just called them Lego guys. But anyway, the minifigure or the Lego guy is made up of three basic parts. You've got the legs, you've got the body, and you've got the head. And on this basic platform, you can build an infinite combination of outfits and accessories and weapons and tools and costumes and armor. For instance, a couple weeks ago, my four-year-old son, Alexander, he asked me to play Legos with him. So we sat down on the floor and we got busy building our armies. And he was hard at work, not paying much attention to what I was doing. So I collected an odd assortment of minifigures and all the accessories that go with them. And I got rather creative with my weaponry and, and incorporated some unconventional styles and designs. And when I had a little band of about a dozen soldiers ready, Alexander turns around and he sees what I'm doing and he says, no, Daddy, they need helmets and armor. And in his mind, my innovative style wasn't fitting for battle. My, and my point is, is this. Don't let the complexity of the full gospel message overwhelm you. Just like uh, a Lego minifigure can be thought of in its basic form, you can also think of the gospel in its core simplicity. And this helps us to know the gospel when we get down to the core simplicity of the gospel message. And over time, then, you can add to your knowledge of the gospel all the complexities that you learn from the scriptures while still maintaining a grasp on the beautiful and accessible core truths of the good news. So we often think of the gospel core parts in, in three parts, and they sometimes have different labels, but I want to share with you those three parts, kind of beginning with the human perspective. We live in a world full of brokenness. That's one part. We, we can all relate to this because we have seen the brokenness with our own eyes and experienced it in our own lives. Even the good things in life, they often get tainted or corrupted by some form of brokenness. And this brokenness 
that's at the core of every human existence and experience, points us to the fact that it should not be this way. That there must be something more, something better, something pure and good and right and just and worthy. And that brokenness then points us to the second part. That in fact, it's exactly true that it is God's perfect design that we're longing for. That God made all things to reflect his perfect design. And he created people to experience his incredible love and the provision of all good things. But if God made us to experience his perfect design, how did we end up in a world surrounded by brokenness? All of us, the Bible says, have gone our own way and wandered away from God's perfect design. In effect, we chose the brokenness instead of God. And now the relationship between us and God has been damaged beyond our ability to repair it. The Bible calls what we have done sin. And until it is taken care of, we cannot be made right with God. And that brings us to part number three of the gospel. That's why God sent Jesus, the Son of God, to come and rescue us. Jesus came to rescue us. Rescue us out of the brokenness and put us on the path to returning to God's perfect design. Jesus died on the cross to take away our sin and make us right in the eyes of God. When we turn away from our sin and follow Jesus in faith, he begins to heal us, to heal us from our brokenness and guide us to growth in God's perfect design. And this, at its core, at its basics, these three parts, this is the gospel, the good news. And it is for everyone who will hear and believe. We need to know the gospel, Paul reminds us. But we also, we need to have confidence in the gospel. Once we know the gospel, we can have confidence in it. We can be confident that it is in this good news that we find our hope and our salvation. Even when nothing else seems to be sure, we have confidence in the truth of Jesus. We have confidence in the gospel for our salvation. Jesus said in John chapter 6, verse 47, Truly, I tell you, anyone who believes has eternal life. A common phrase we've been hearing during this COVID crisis has been, we're all in the same boat. Now, whether or not this is true in other contexts, it's definitely true in the context of the gospel. We're all in the same boat. And that boat is capsized and sinking. We all need to be rescued. And Jesus is the only one who can do it. 
We cling to the truth of Jesus like we would cling to a lifeline as we're being lifted out of the raging waters of our own sinfulness and the resulting consequences. We cling confidently because there is no other salvation. Don't put your trust in other things for your salvation. Don't turn to religious observances, to moralism or law-keeping. Abandon a works-based salvation. Avoid theological elitism and run from syncretism like we saw in our Colossians study was uh, threatening the believers at Colossae and we see it in in our modern setting as well. Syncretism, the tempting desire to mix and match various beliefs practices and observances in the hope that in the mixture one might find the secret of salvation we need not wonder or search for such a mixture we have one savior jesus the christ and faith in him is the only way to be made right with god and receive the gift of eternal life so we are confident in the message of the gospel. And we're confident it is the hope for our salvation and that it is the hope for the salvation of others. Now when it comes to sharing that faith with others, we might be intimidated about sharing Jesus with others because we fear that we might not be successful. And this is where confidence comes in because the truth is we cannot save anyone we place no confidence in ourselves. only god saves people and he does so through the message of christ the, this message is a powerful and effective message it reaches into a person and lays bare their deepest need and exposes their rebellion against God. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, describes the word of God in this way. For the word of God is living and effective, sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Be confident in the message of Jesus, knowing that through it people will hear and believe and be saved. Now, based on this confidence, we share the gospel of Jesus. We know it. We have confidence in it, and we share the gospel of Jesus. Now, let's not fool ourselves. For most of us, myself included, sharing the gospel is often easier said than done. A few among us are gifted evangelists. The the rest of us must labor at it with intentionality and great effort, And by God's grace, we find in our passage today some truths and applications that aid us in our efforts 
to share the message of Jesus. First, we see uh, this idea. Don't burn bridges, build connections. In our present modern day context, we are in danger of burning bridges. And this is what I mean. We all have opinions about many topics. And in our setting, we have the right to express our opinions. And we have the means to do so. Our social media outlets provide each of us a platform that has never been so widely enjoyed enjoyed at any point in history. As we share our opinions about various topics, what happens then is we bump up against the opinions of others who have differing opinions about those topics. Then, if we're not careful, we find ourselves arguing our point against their point, or we step into the danger of making inflammatory statements that push people away rather than draw us closer to them. So we need to weigh the importance of our self-expression and the subjects of that self-expression in comparison to the gospel. We need to ask, does this topic or my opinion on this topic or my expression of my opinion on this topic rise to the same priority as the good news of Jesus? Am I pushing people away? Am I burning bridges for something that is less worthy than the gospel? Would it be prudent to hold my tongue, to keep my opinion to myself, to quietly disagree in the hopes or in the preparation to share the gospel, to not burn that bridge relationally, to keep it open so that I can cross it with the gospel. Paul spoke about his own trials for spreading the gospel in this way, in verse 10. He says, this is why I endure all things for the elect, so that they also may obtain salvation, which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Our difficulties in sharing the gospel are so minimal compared with Paul's. Still, we can use the principle of enduring all things, as Paul said, to help us have the right attitude about sharing the gospel. I can endure hearing differing and wrong opinions of others if it means I can preserve an opportunity to share the gospel with those individuals. How tragic to burn a bridge over politics or sports or celebrities or the economics that we have no control over or this or that personal perspective. The gospel itself is confrontational enough and it may, in the end, push people away if they're not ready to accept it. Better that we have not hardened the soil or burned the bridge by contentious opinion sharing. Instead of burning bridges, we should build connections with others. And this takes time and investment. But 
as we encounter people, and, and we may encounter that outwardly they're cold about beginning a new relationship, but inwardly they desire meaningful personal connections. I, I listened to a podcast this week about the long-term effects of the extended stay-home orders. And they asked this question to provoke some, some thinking. They asked, what are people most addicted to? And, and like you're probably thinking, my mind went to different drugs and, and maybe adrenaline and other experiences. And the answer they gave was that most people are most addicted to human interaction. I don't think they meant that answer to state some kind of scientific fact as much as to call attention to the truth that people are social creatures and we need human interaction to be healthy and to enjoy life. And that translates into opportunities for the gospel, especially during this moment in time and in the new normal going forward. Because there are people around us and within our reach who are needing connections and they need love and they need care. And this is exactly what we have to offer them in the name of Jesus. In, in giving tips on how to build these connections, evangelist and author Sam Chan suggests that conversations have three layers. It's kind of an interesting thought. He says, when you're speaking with someone, think of moving through three layers. He says the outer layer is the most superficial and contains pleasantries and interests. In this layer, you talk about the weather and sports and TV shows. The next layer is the values layer, he, he calls it. Here you talk about your family, your work, your hobbies, the things you care about. But that final layer is the worldview layer. It's in this layer that you open up about your spirituality, your faith, your hopes, your dreams, your fears. And Chan says that at a time like this, in a crisis, and particularly in this crisis that has forced us to distance ourselves from each other and stay at home, people are much more willing to move quickly through those layers into the deeper layers. In other words, much more quickly to, to speak about and hear about the things that matter most and to make those connections. And, and we can learn to, to cut through the superficiality and go deep in a conversation to what matters most so that we can express concern and genuine love and care for those around us. Chan suggests one way to do this is is through prayer, offering to pray for those you talk with. Say something like, I, I like to pray for my friends. Could I pray for you? Is, is there something specific that I could pray for you about? And he said most people, whether they are religious or have faith in their life or not, they respect that. And they, they will offer some prayer request that you could pray for. And so then, be faithful. Go away and, and pray for them. And the next time you see them, you follow up and you say, I'm so glad to see you. I've been praying for you. How is it with that situation? 
And this is the beginning of a, a connection to that person. And it's not a superficial connection because you've already connected to the deepest parts of that person. And there's many other ways to connect with people, uh, even during this time. And in just a few minutes, I'm going to share with you a way you can find some resources to help you explore in building connections with others. But I want to talk for another minute about how we learn to share our faith. Learning how to share our faith and to do so effectively does not come by accident. It takes training. Paul tells Timothy to think of himself as an athlete that competes by the rules and runs to win. In verse 5 he reads, if anyone competes as an athlete, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. I played several sports in high school, but I was never a very good athlete. For instance, when I was a freshman, I went out for the track team. They didn't have tryouts. You just showed up and you were on the track team. That was good for me because I was a super slow runner. Then there weren't very many of us on the team, so I, I even got to compete in several events at each track meet. But I was a below-average track athlete. I went to practice, I ran my laps, and I competed in events, but that was it. I didn't think much about running when I wasn't at practice. I didn't change my lifestyle to become a better runner. Uh, but there were several of my teammates that were very good athletes. And this one teammate stands out in my mind. I, I can't recall his name, but he was a senior, and he had been running for several years. His specialty was long-distance running. And he had long, muscular legs with massive quads, and he took running seriously. I once heard the coach speaking with him about how the coach had seen this teammate of mine running down a long country road on the weekend. And it impressed me that he was even training on the weekend. And you could, uh, you could see that that was the difference between a non-athlete, a non-athlete like me and a true athlete like him, training. To be, a, to be good at the sport of running or any other sport requires much more than just showing up. More than raw talent or good genetics, it requires training. A serious, long-term investment in shaping yourself and your skills to match the activity of the sport. The, the teammate of mine, he went to college on a sports scholarship. And me, I quit running track after that season. I tried soccer instead the next year, but I wasn't any better at it. Sharing the gospel, of course, is not a sport, it's not a game, but Paul still saw the value in making the comparison to an athlete. The point being, if we want to be effective at sharing the faith, at carrying the gospel forward, then we need some of the same qualities as an athlete. We need endurance. We need skill and motivation and effectiveness. And much of these come from training and hard work and focus. 
Now, there are a lot of tools to help us become more effective in sharing our faith. And we're going to put a list of those on the sermon page at soundcitybiblechurch.com slash sermons. Find a training that works for you and work hard at it, sharpening your skills at sharing your faith. Don't be like me as a runner in that I never really train myself. However, do be like me as a runner and that I took the first steps to get out on the track. You see, if we wait until we're fully trained before we share our faith, we may never start to share our faith. Start where you are, begin to have conversations about faith and Jesus and the gospel, and train as you go. You'll, you'll get more comfortable. You'll be more effective the more times you share your faith. And I want to finish now. And, and as I do, Paul mixed in one final encouraging metaphor into this passage. And it's a very familiar metaphor for the scriptures. It's the farming metaphor. He reminded uh, Timothy that when it comes to the gospel work, we're like farmers. So, so keep farming in mind. We, we till, we plant, we water, we harvest. When we keep this farming metaphor in mind, it helps us persevere in the work of the gospel. Sometimes we're tilling the ground, making it ready through conversations, through sharing love, through uh, touching a life. Sometimes we're planting the seeds of the faith, speaking specifically the, the truths about Jesus Christ and a person's need for him as their savior and the, the promise of redemption and restoration to come through salvation and, of course, eternal life, planting those seeds, speaking the truth of the faith. Sometimes we're watering, uh, just helping people process and understand the gospel and helping them come closer to putting their faith in Jesus. And sometimes we... we we are blessed to be the ones who are there at the moment of harvest when an individual puts their faith in Christ and they cross over into new life and, and have the regenerate work of the Spirit in them. Every step of the work is valuable and important. So remember, it's the Lord that brings the crop. We are servants of the gospel and we serve the role that we're given. If you find that you're rarely the one that gets to be present at the moment, someone takes that momentous step of faith in Jesus for the first time, it's okay. Do your part. Keep planting. Keep watering. Keep sharing. Ultimately, we want to be faithful and effective in the task before us. Remember, God will bring about the fruit. He will advance his kingdom. He will save the lost, and he will build his church. The gospel is not bound, but is advancing. Will we join in that movement? If you answer yes, if in your heart you say, yes, I want to join the movement of the gospel, the advancement of the kingdom, the mission of the message of Jesus Christ, here are some next steps. Find your starting point. First, confront the uncertainty that you feel about the future. Replace it with confidence in the power of God, the message of Christ, and the advancement of the kingdom. It changes the way we live. Second, 
began training in how to know and share the gospel effectively. Look, remember, look for those tools, soundcitybiblechurch.com slash sermons. And finally, identify one person to start with, one person who needs to hear the message of Jesus and begin praying for an opportunity to share Jesus with them and pray for their heart to be receptive. These are some starting points. Let's pray together. God, thank you for the truth that your gospel, the message of Christ, is not bound, it's not quarantined. It is powerful and effective and advancing. And God, what a blessing that you've invited us, your church, your people, to be part of the advancement of your kingdom, the spread of the gospel. And even now, as we are in a difficult situation, people are ready to hear. People are are recognizing that they have a need and they're looking for the answer. And we know that we have that answer. Motivate us to share. Would you give us the confidence we need to speak the truth about Jesus? Would you put on each of our hearts the one person we can begin praying for, praying for an opportunity to share with, and taking that initiative? And Lord, where our skills need sharpening, would you give us that motivation to work hard and train and become better at it? For those of us who've yet to put faith in Christ, maybe they're joining us and watching, Lord, would you stir in their hearts that they need to trust in Jesus and take that first step of faith in believing that he is the Savior that they need and they can trust in him today. Lord, wherever we are, you are there with us. We thank you for that. We thank you for our church. We thank you for your word. And we look forward to seeing your kingdom advance as we move into the future with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, church. My name is Doug, and I'm one of the pastors at Sound City Bible Church. Thank you, Pastor Jason, for faithfully teaching the word to us today. As we go to communion, this would be a good time to go ahead and get the elements if you haven't done it already. In our sermon today, Pastor Jason reminds us that even though we are sheltering in place, the gospel is not bound. But Christ was bound for you and for me. He was bound in the garden, betrayed by his friend. He was bound while he was questioned and ridiculed. He was bound while he was tortured, beaten, and whipped. And he was bound on a cross. All so we would be free. Free to live a life not bound as a slave to sin. Not bound to the worries of this world not bound to life and eternity as enemies of our Father and Creator. Listen closely to the words from 1 Corinthians as Paul quotes Jesus' communion instructions to his disciples, knowing that he was soon to be bound and die. In this, Jesus simply asks us to remember. Paul begins, The Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. This is my body for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. 
Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Then Paul tells us, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. So he tells us, let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Now the musicians are going to play and we can take time now to examine yourself, your heart, your motives. Talk to the Father. Confess your sin honestly and without fear. Give thanks that you are adopted into God's family. And take time now to remember Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Then take the elements. Father, we come into your presence only by the blood and in the name of Jesus. Direct our thoughts and our prayers now for our good and your glory before we take the Lord's Supper. And then fill us with your spirit that as we worship, we would celebrate the freedom we have in Christ our Savior. Amen.